The Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the pioneering premium trail brand from Portland, Oregon, and the makers of the brand new GSPGH. The Cam Haynes Commission is almost here. In fact, Dave is at the factory as I record this, and the shoes are on schedule for an early October delivery for all those who pre-ordered. Get excited. This shoe is amazing. The GSPGH is a lot like the GS Tam, but with a slightly softer midsole compound for a super plush and comfortable ride like all Speedland shoes. The GSPGH has the patented removable plate, a technological innovation you can only find with Speedland products. Speaking of the GS Tam, we still have some of the smaller sizes available, but we are completely out of inventory in size 10 and above for men. That's 11 and a half and above for women. That means that not even I can get another pair of my signature shoe. I have two fresh pairs stashed away here at home. They are collector's items that I will probably keep in perpetuity and I will never get another pair. So if you want one, you better go act fast. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GS TAM, the GS PGH, or the SLHSV. Thanks so much to Speedland. On with the show. Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Zoe Rome and Tina Muir, two hugely influential voices in the global running community who probably need very little introduction to this audience. Zoe is the editor-in-chief for Trailrunner Magazine and the managing editor for Women's Running. Tina is a former professional athlete herself and more recently the founder and CEO of Running For Real and the host of the Running For Real podcast, which is super popular. Together, they authored a wonderful new book entitled Becoming a Sustainable Runner, a guide to running for life, community, and planet. The book is available now and is the subject of our entire conversation here today. In the episode, we discuss maintaining a healthy relationship with our running, battling perfectionism, having good intentions, building community, giving back, speaking up, environmental stewardship, and a lot more. This is a feel-good episode. I am a huge admirer of both Zoe and Tina, so it was an honor to have them on the show together. After the episode or while you're listening, I would highly recommend you go pick up a copy of the book, Navigate to BecomingASustainableRunner.com, where they have links to buy the book from a number of different retailers. Before we get to the show, I would also love to ask you to come be part of the future of Free Trail. Subscribe to Free Trail Pro, get tons of perks, connect with a community, and support our small team as we try to make a difference in the sport and in the world. It's only $96 a year, and there is a free trial. To join Free Trail Pro, visit freetrail.com or find the link in the show notes. And actually, while you're in the show notes, please also check out the links and discount codes to our awesome partners, Speedland, HVMN, Gnarly Nutrition, and Rourke Apparel. Click through, grab some swag with some generous discounts from these awesome brands. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. Zoe, Tina, welcome to the show. Nice to see you both. Yeah, excited to be here. Great to see you, Dylan. Yeah, thank you. Three podcasters on a podcast. This could take a <laughs> while. 
Luckily, Tina's got get a, questions flipped at you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Tina's got Buckle a chiropractic appointment, so we can't go all afternoon, unfortunately. But <laughs> I, I'm really honored that you would both come on the show. We're going to talk at length about your book. I feel a little intimidated by the brain power, but I'll do my best to be the host on today's podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, of course, yeah, orienting around the book, your various like businesses and projects, whatever else you guys have going on. But we start the show in a traditional way. And I would love to get both of you to contribute to the running theme that we have here. Maybe Zoe, Zoe we'll start with you. The opening question being, what makes you you? What are your unique attributes? How do they show up in your life? Yeah, man. I mean, that's such a challenging question. And I feel like this is, <laughs> I wonder how other people approach this sort of like active self-definition. And if it's just like my writer brain, that's like uniquely terrible <laughs> at it. Um, like as, you know, I spend so much time sort of like helping other people self-narrativize. I realize when I kind of like turn that towards myself, I don't have as much of uh, as much idea what I'm doing, but I feel like I tend to define myself a lot for better or worse by what I do, like being a, a writer and editor. Um, but I also am a runner. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer, you know, outside of like sort of what people see on the internet. Um, I feel like I experience a lot of the world through a writer's sort of brain and eyes. Um, and I don't know, I think of myself as a, a good, a good friend, a good partner and a climate steward. Amazing. I want to come around eventually to talking about stand-up comedy eventually. So believe that for later. Tina, how about you? Yeah. You definitely should ask her about her stand-up. Yeah. I am loving this journey of watching Zoe do this. Um, see, it's interesting. Have either of you read the book called The Untethered Soul? Yes, I have. I just read it recently. And in that, do you remember the part where he was like, who are you? And I can't remember whoever he was talking to was like, oh, I'm a mother and I'm a this. And so he was like, so did you not exist before you were mother? Oh, okay. Well, I'm a person who went to this school. And he's like, so did you not exist before you went to that school? So now I feel like this question is hard to answer because that is in my head of like, who am I? And actually, when you said that, what came to mind, who am I? Um, I would say is a, like uh, a very, um, uh, a, a very vulnerable, open, heart on my sleeve, live life like um, with giving as much love as I can person. That's kind of what came to mind initially. However, yes, I would say I'm a mother and a wife and a runner. And um, a lot of my life has been defined by running while I am trying to untangle that. Um, those points do matter to me and I'd also say yeah like Zoe an environmental steward someone who just loves nature and I was just texting Zoe a little while ago about um Lahaina and how my heart is currently just like shattered about um the wildfire in in Maui um that place is very special to me and so um I'd say I'm also a bit of a broken person but aren't we all so yeah a bit of a bit of a, a mess of an answer there for you but those are some things that came to mind <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you both for those quick self descriptions. I'm sure you won't need introductions to most of our audience. You two both being very powerful voices and influential voices within our small running community. I guess before we get to the meat of the conversation, I'd love to hear how you two came to be connected because I'm sure that's going to be relevant throughout the conversation. Oh my God, I love this question. So I'm going to start it and I'm going to let Tina finish it. But um, we have the 
cutest like adult 21st century neat cute of all time um, <laughs> essentially like you know in, a, in the running space there's a lot of people making cool stuff in different like sort of corners of the globe and Tina and I had been mutual admirers of each other's work and like I you know she would I would notice she would like occasionally like my stuff or maybe even comment <laughs> on it I would get a <laughs> thrown to me every so often and I would be like oh great this is someone I look up to who's like noticing <laughs> me and the work I'm doing um and eventually we started like comments turned into dms dms turned into I gave her my email then I gave her my phone number. And before I knew it, she was calling me with an exciting job opportunity, but kind of like the thing that initially sort of like cemented our friendship was we were tweeting at each other about different ways of composting in our kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> As all great friendships start, it sounds almost like a dating relationship. Tina, I know. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, no, I, I was like, I feel like we need to end with, and now we're married and are in different rooms. <laughs> um, no, I mean, Zoe summed it up well. It, it, um, I mean, it it is such a good example, though, of we all have those things that we are passionate about that mean a lot to us that other people might be like, no, oh, that's weird. Um, and for us, like, you know, waste reduction, composting, finding ways to reduce emissions and, and talk about these things is something that we were both passionate about. And it drew us together and gave us this beautiful friendship. So the only thing I would add is that, like, people listening to this, whatever your what other people might think is weird passion is, there's someone out there who just loves it as much as you do. And taking that, that step to move beyond likes and maybe the occasional comment to actually be like, hey, I really love that you talk about these things can lead to something amazing. So awesome. And just thinking ahead, I feel like this is relevant to the section of your book that's focused on community. So we'll come around to talking about that a mm -hmm. little later. As we start to introduce the book to the audience, Zoe, I noticed that you had posted that you had intentionally chosen the word becoming in the title. The book is called Becoming a Sustainable Runner. Emphasis on becoming. Elaborate on that. Yeah. So I think so often... Um, there's sort of this narrative that becoming or like that being an environmental activist or advocate is like a perfect journey with like a finite destination and you either are or you aren't. And like, oh, if you're not Greta Thunberg, we don't have room for you in the movement. And we really wanted to emphasize that this is a process and we wanted to orient the entire sort of like story of our book around the process rather than a specific outcome. Because similar to running, it's so much more about staying consistently engaged in the process and not getting bogged down by some superficial idea of perfection and allowing yourself to exist in that sort of like imperfect in-between, to do things wrong, to not ever arrive, right? Because like this is such a large scale sort of um issue we like in the climate space it's often referred to as a hyper object because it's so big the human brain can't actually comprehend it and likewise the amount of action that's required isn't fully understandable or undertakeable on like a human individual level but the process of moving closer towards where you are now and living in true alignment with your environmental values is doable that is possible so we wanted to emphasize the process and the journey of becoming as opposed to some sort of like far off unattainable outcome. Tina, anything you want to add? Yeah, well, just, I mean, Zoe summed that up really well, but also just that we are so used to having, we live in a world where we want to check boxes. We want to like cross things our to-do list off our to-do list, even if it means 
writing like got out of bed today check like so you can do something that makes you feel feel good and so much of what is pushed on us with particularly the environmental movement but also within our running is that you have to you have to like do it right and you have to get it nailed and you have to figure this out straight away um and as we mentioned this is not an easy thing to figure out and it's always evolving too like as technologies come along as we are dealing with the you know effects of what are starting to happen there is no this is what you need to do and then we we've figured it out like we we're constantly going to have to be adapting so even someone who's very passionate about this is still going to have to make changes um and uh and also yeah within our own running we wanted to speak to it in in that area and in the community side because that too like we might as runners think oh I really learned my lesson with that one I'm not going to do that again but then two years later we find ourselves in the same point we're running through pain and we're like oh yeah yeah and I know I shouldn't be doing this but maybe I'll get away with it this time like we're constantly on that journey and even though Zoe and I have learned things along the way it doesn't mean we won't end up making those mistakes again and again as Zoe said it makes it it's that imperfect imperfect journey not trying to be the best at everything it's so great. like I totally would have preferred to write the book like how I became a perfect environmental <laughs> steward and ran 133 <laughs> miles a week yeah. but I don't know if that would appeal. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure like that would sell like hotcakes on Amazon, but that's also not true. And you're leaving out the people who I think are the most important to kind of invite into this conversation. It's so great. And as a fan of words, becoming does feel completely appropriate and perfect for this title. And it's applicable not only to the environmental part of the conversation, but to the other parts of the book. And so that's sort of how I wanted to structure the conversation. The book is broken into three parts. So I figured we'd maybe tackle them all individually uh, because it felt really intentional and it felt really effective in the way that you guys put it all together. So maybe starting there, how did you guys arrive at sort of the theme and the thesis of the book? And how did you arrive at the three um, sort of angles that you wanted to tackle? Zoe, I feel like you explained this really well, where you like build off. Yeah, I think, you know, we, one of the reasons we wanted to write this book and, you know, not just because it kind of distinguishes itself in the marketplace, but I think it's a pretty original sort of thesis in our community is that there is no like individual pursuit of running without sort of equating that necessarily tying that to the pursuit of an inclusive, healthy and thriving community without the pursuit of a healthy and sustainable planet. Like you can't attend to your own health without also attending to the health of your community and the health of your planet. Likewise, if you only focus on the health of your planet and you neglect your own health, you're you're not going to be able to sustain that level of work. If you only if you prioritize the community totally to the detriment of self-care, also not going to be sustainable and you're not really going to be able to reach your potential when it comes to like supporting the community in the way that you want to. So we wanted to show that it's kind of like a three-legged stool and you have to necessarily use all of these tools to prop up all the elements of your life. And I think so often in the running space, there's this really sort of like narrative of rugged individualism. And it's so much about a lot of times can be about the pursuit of like individual attainment and PRs and like individual health. And it's all about me. And we wanted to sort of show that like you can attain PRs, you can like self-actualize and chase excellence, but you will actually get much further when you're doing it sort of alongside the pursuit of a healthy and thriving community of a healthy and thriving planet and showing that these things are all necessarily integrated. 
it's such a great book. And I shared with you before we pressed record, I haven't read all of it yet, but the first section is particularly powerful and having sort of flipped through the second couple of sections and absorbed what I could leading into the conversation. It leaves me just like very excited to complete the book. And it does feel like just a, yeah, three-legged stool, like the perfect trifecta of things to tie into a single piece of work that will have an impact on people within our community and, uh, you know, potentially more broadly as well. Tina, I wanted to start with you. So the first section of the book is about sustaining yourself as a runner in body and mind. And you have a career or a history of racing professionally for your home country, Great Britain. Um, So I figured you would have an interesting perspective on this because oftentimes racing professionally is inherently unsustainable. Mm. So maybe if you could provide an example of a point in your career where that was the case, where you were not a sustainable runner in body and mind. Sure. And I want to just, uh, with that question in mind, what Zoe was just saying there, what both of you were saying there about like it being an inherently individual, uh, maybe spoiler alert, but now I'm starting to find my way into the trail and ultra community. Like I really love seeing that there is less of that here. Can I say here? Am I here? Yes, I'm you like, are here. here. <laughs> yes, this is basically <laughs> entirely a trail running audience here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, and I meant myself, like, have I, uh, does one ultra mean I'm in, or do I have to do You're a few in. more? You're do I have to do a hundred before I'm in? Card carrying member, card carrying member. Thank you. Yeah. So like, I really love the concept of like crew and pacing and getting to have someone do that for me, Ryan Montgomery and my ultra was just like, I just, it was like blowing my mind. Like he is doing this for me. He is here for me. He is like, what can I get you? How can I help you? And I just like, I I hadn't seen that before in the world that I came from. Um, but so, so to answer your actual question. Uh, so yeah, I was a, you know, collegiate athlete, came over to the US um, for college, stayed here, went professional as a roadrunner, um, did very well, ran for Great Britain, but then found myself at a point after that, a few months later, where I just was noticing that there was this voice in my head that kept saying, I'm done, I'm done, you're done. And you know, we all go through this where it's like, I can't, this is so hard. Like Dylan, I saw some pictures of you struggling in hard rock, like that, I can't, I can't, it's probably going around. But when it's saying like, you're done, there's, it's like, there's no going back from that. It's like done, like there's nothing I could say. And so I noticed this voice was coming through and and I, it got to the point with me where I hated every step. I'd be on a morning run and I'd be thinking, oh, God, I have to run again later and I just don't want to. And I just broke and I quit. And I knew in that moment that something had to give if I was ever going to go back to running, which I didn't know at the time whether I was. I just hated it. And um, and so I promised myself if I was going to come back that I was going to find a way to do it differently this time around, even at the sacrifice of my performance. Um And it took me a good probably two years before I actually could take that step and like pull my competitiveness back enough to just be able to um, enjoy it and actually see it in a different lens. And for me, that took running as a guide, which is one of the things we talk about in the book, um, to kick myself over that line of like giving back and thinking of it not as an individual selfish thing that I was doing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've definitely been through this journey of, of getting to this point. And I can safely say that while I try hard, like in, in that, you know, 50 mile race I did in May, I, 
you know, that was hard. But I, it, it was not in hard in the same way it was before, where it was just about digging deep and gritting my teeth and hating it the whole time. So yeah. um, while I'm not, as we've talked about already, I'm not, I'm not at the end goal yet. I'm not, I will never be at the end point. I've learned so much and I wanted to really help make that point in the book that it's okay to have more in your life than just finish lines. It's so great. And, you know, bringing up Hard Rock, this is why the book, I, it felt so powerful to me just this past week as I've been reading it because it's like very timely and relevant to my life right now. And a sort of theme throughout is like this idea that running can kind of be additive or subtractive of your life. You know, it can give you energy and confidence or it can take it away. And we're either doing it to enhance our physical and mental health or we're doing it to like boost our ego and beat people more or less. It really comes down to like having good intentions. And when you have good intentions, your running becomes sustainable. Zoe, is there anything you want to mm. speak about there just in terms oh, of like yeah. the intention behind the activity? Totally. I think like for me, it really comes back to how does this fit in with what my values are right now? Like for me, values often are excellence, community, environment and making sure that my running is in alignment with those. And if it feels like something's disconnected, kind of reassessing, okay, how can I do this in a way where it might be more in alignment with my values? Because I feel like often when it starts to feel like when running feels less additive and more subtractive, it's because it's pulling me away from engaging in my community the way, the way I want to, or it's pulling, like it feels not in alignment with my environmental values, or I feel like I'm not um, chasing excellence and maybe the way that I want to. Um, and I think one of the most exciting and challenging parts of like this specific project is like, we started writing those chapters kind of like about like life balance and running, like sustaining your own personal running. When I was like much younger, I was 26 and had some like really unhealthy, like work life sort of boundaries. And I went back and like revised and we re-edited those chapters when I was in a pretty different sort of like life circumstance. And it is such a gift to be able to go back and see things you wrote sort of in a different mindset and sort of be like, okay, like I can walk away from this belief that's maybe not serving me or like, excellent. Like I've actually addressed some of this in my own life. Like this is good. This is healthy. And being able to like use, you know, something that Tina and I wrote a couple of years ago as sort of like a challenge to my current self is was such like an unbelievable opportunity. And I hope that it can kind of serve that same function for, for folks now to kind of like be able to take objective stock and build self-awareness about like where if running is in that more additive or is in that more subtractive place for them, because there are ways to kind of like say like, okay, I'm recognizing that maybe this isn't coming from a good place right now. And we have a lot of tools and frameworks for helping like evaluate and shift it to a more positive place. So great. Tina, anything you want to add there just to the intention conversation? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think Zoe, um, explained that well, the only thing I'd maybe add is just that, you know, there are going to be waves in, in our lives that we have to accept that, that running cannot be the primary focus, no matter how much we want it to be. There's going to be periods of life where we can focus. There's going to be, um, in, in every, we want to be, you know, intentional with every race we commit to, but it's also okay if we have to take a little bit of time where we're just running easy, bare minimum for like a few months because we have a lot else going on in our lives. And, um, you know, it's, it's okay if we're, if we kind of go in waves with our motivation and what we're able to do. Yeah. So. I just think a great exercise for people coming away from this conversation or who are 
reading the book is to really analyze the intentions that they have behind their running, because that was one of the major takeaways for me from hard rock. It was like my intention, if I'm being honest with myself was to like try and run as fast as I did two years before when I was in much better shape, right? Rather than to be there to enjoy hard rock, to love the game and the practice of being out in the mountains. And the result, you know, sort of was in alignment with that lack of good intentions more or less so i think a good thing to just check in on for all runners the free trail podcast is brought to you by gnarly nutrition and our brand new collaborative product orange drank the brand new formula and flavor of gnarly's flagship endurance drink makes fuel to o which i've been evangelizing here on the podcast for a couple years now Orange Drank comes with a salted orange flavor and appropriately an increased concentration of sodium. You all know I'm a huge electrolyte guy in training, racing, and in daily life. So we decided to reformulate the mix and add a bit more of that salty stuff. I couldn't be happier with the finished product. It's so delicious, but more importantly, it will make you feel like a superhero while you're out getting your shred on. Typical of all the Fuel2O products, Orange Drank also has 560 milligrams of HMB, a metabolite of branched-chain amino acid leucine to help prevent muscle breakdown and reduced post-workout soreness. So you get carbs, electrolytes, calories, HMB, hydration. It's everything you need straight from your bottle. Simplicity, one of the main reasons why I've always relied on liquid calories. It's so cool for us to have this product collab out in the world, orange shoes with Speedland, orange drank with gnarly. Go pick up a bag today. Go gnarly.com. Use code freetrail15 for 15% off your order. Tina, getting like more specific, I know one thing that you've been passionate about, you've talked a lot about is like this relative energy deficiency stuff. And that's, I think, kind of a symptom of being an unsustainable runner. So maybe mm-hmm. just like, talk a little bit, define the term, what does it mean? And maybe where people can find more resources about it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, red S is relative energy deficiency in sport, which was, has kind of gone through transitions, kind of different definitions over the years. Um, it was made, it's maybe more known as a female athlete triad. However, they had to expand that because we've since realized and understood that it isn't just females. It is all genders. It is all sizes. It is all speeds, all ability levels, everything. Everyone has the potential to be dealing with this. And and while it comes down to not taking in enough fuel for you and your body, um, for what you're doing for that usually, yeah, in this situation in sport, but just in general, um, There are different symptoms which, um, you know, those who, uh, you know, like myself, had um, maybe a a missing period as one way of knowing, which I went nine years without having it. Um, But there are actually many other symptoms as well. And actually, you know, for this reason, I've had tens of thousands of women reach out to me over the years. And I made on YouTube for free this basically, what is Red S? How do I know if I'm having it? And also asked all the questions that women um, had asked me, also what men had asked me, and, and you know, obviously other people from all kinds of um, experiences, including the common things of, well, my weight is normal, this can't be it, or like, I don't run that much, this can't be it, or I'm not that fast, this can't be it. So 
for anyone who thinks that could be something going on with them, if you are dealing with lots of, um, you know, stomach upsets, if your hands and fingers, uh, your fingers and toes get very cold easily, if you're struggling with insomnia, if you, um, you know, are struggling with your libido, like there's so many symptoms that are often missed and not mentioned. Um, but if any of those symptoms are kind of speaking, I would definitely encourage people to go there. But in the book, we do go over why this is so important to being a sustainable runner, to being a lifelong runner. Definitely added up to my quitting when I did. And, um, you know, how are you supposed to train if you're not getting enough calories? Our bodies will survive and do what they can, but we're never going to get what we could out of ourselves. And I have to live with the fact that I lost time through not fueling myself in my past. And that's just a choice I made. Yeah. And again, just like so in line with this theme and philosophy of being sustainable and taking the signals from our hyper-intelligent bodies and sort of listening to them more deeply. Because I think mm -hmm. oftentimes as athletes, we do rely so heavily on our perseverance and our toughness and overlook the obvious signals that you're not sustainable. Zoe, you talk in the book too about like perfectionism and I thought this would be interesting and in both how it's applied to your life as an athlete, but also your life as a journalist and as a writer. Because I think for those of us who are athletes who do things outside of sport, we know that like that same tenacity shows up in other aspects of our lives, both in productive and unproductive ways, perfectionism being one of those. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, one of the things that's been so fun working on this project with Tina is having someone, a, a voice that I trust, tell me when I'm overthinking things and when I just need to turn something in, <laughs> um, get it done. You know, done is always better than perfect and undone and never will be done because perfection doesn't exist. But it's also kind of like that challenging line of like, well, if you're chasing excellence, you also do want to always have that high standard in a lot of the things you do. But if you try to do everything perfectly, you're never going to get anything done and you're going to absolutely drive yourself crazy and you're going to get burnt out because perfection is just, it is an unattainable standard as a human being. Like mistakes will be made. I do not have infinite like resources in terms, like for, you know, for both the journalism and the running. And so often like a fear of not wanting to put something out that I didn't feel was reflective of my best capability prevented me from doing anything at all, prevented me from signing up for races, prevented me from writing things I would have liked to have written, provided, uh, prevented me from like pitching ideas to folks I would have liked to pitch just because like, well, this just might not be good enough. And so as like an editor who really prides themselves on trying to be supportive of other people's voices in my own head, I was really kneecapping myself by over censoring every idea I had before it ever even really had like a chance to sort of like, you know, exist in the world at all. So I think that, you know, one of the great things that I like about running and athletics is it sort of just forces you to get like through exposure therapy, it forces you to sit with imperfection a lot. <laughs> um, and that's like really, really healthy. So I would just encourage folks to find whatever like practice for them feels like a really psychologically safe way for them to sort of like get into that growth edge of like imperfection for me. Like I'm, you know, when I see a number on my training plan, I really want to hit exactly that number, <laughs> but I've come to recognize that like, yeah, jogging around the parking lot 
maybe not very like not help not not productive training by any measurement um you know agonizing over like oh did do i need to move some commas around in this article should i have like cited this source instead of this source should i have used like this framing narrative instead of this framing narrative um i'll just like agonize over things that prevent me from you know doing perfectly good work so i think that again like for folks that maybe struggles perfectionism in some areas of their life. Athletics gives us kind of like a healthy and safe way because like for me, there's like no, there's not a lot of pressure on my athletics. So I can really go and just sort of exist imperfectly. And that sort of emboldens me to do the same in my professional life. It's so great. I just had Eli Hemming on the podcast. And one of the things he said was embracing the mundane. Yes. It, it, it struck me as so relevant to sport and to life because so few runs feel magical. You do have probably more runs throughout the year that feel completely terrible, but most of it is just like, you know, a completely mundane, imperfect, you know, jog. Right. And similarly with work, it's like, you have precious few days where you're like, Oh man, like this is like really working. Right. And then you have a lot of times where you're like, this is completely pointless. I'm incompetent. But most days are just like, you know, imperfect mundane stuff. And you have to find peace in that. And I think as athletes, you know, we do want to hit every single number on our training plan. And so much of these concepts are tied together in such a perfect way in the book, things like self-acceptance and self-compassion and just sort of like embracing where you are. And that's all sort of tied into this being sustainable in body and mind. But in the interest of time, I'd like to move ahead and, and talk about being a sustainable member of a community or sustaining your running community. And I think inherent in community is the reality that it needs to be a give and a take, right? Communities don't exist in a vacuum. And if groups come together and everybody's taking, the community collapses and there needs to be this, this balance of give and take. And so Tina, maybe I'll, I'll start with you on this because I know you've sort of cultivated community around running for real, your business. So maybe you could enlighten the audience a little bit about what you guys do and what value that running for real community has brought into your life. Yeah. I, um, I, again, back to my previous, uh, life as a, as a professional, uh, marathoner, I, just everything was about me. Like I need to eat this food. So family, sorry, but you're going to eat what I eat. I need to go to bed at this time. So I don't care if you're having fun at dinner, let's go home. And so I got to, when I, you know, was reassessing and thinking about my life, I was like, this just felt so selfish. And so, as you said, tick, tick, tick. And so as I started to look into what I wanted from this next chapter, I started to see all these ways that people seemed so joyful in their sport. And, and we've really seen over the last five years, this boom of running clubs and crews. And I don't know how much time, but either of you actually, Zoe, either have spent around these crews that are popping up in like major cities, but like the energy, the, the, the love, the support that people have for one another, even if they're running, you know, 15 minute miles on, you know, see with trail runners, I feel like I have to clarify this. Typically I just say like 15 minute miles, but I know 15 minute miles is, is something to be proud of if you're going up a like really steep mountain. Um, but yeah, so like 
as I just I've loved seeing it and so I was at this point where I was like what can I do to give back to be a part of something and I had all these people around me um, that had been quote-unquote followers or listeners or whatever um but I had never given them anything I'd always just kind of been like oh thank you for your admiration I I oh yes yes I am wonderful and so (laughs) I was like how can I give to them but I thought they won't want to hear anything from me like I'm not an elite runner anymore I quit I'm a quitter um but I soon realized that what they wanted was just to meet other people to be surrounded by other people who had similar viewpoints and thoughts and, and have someone when their spouse didn't care about running to talk about with running and so I created and fostered this running for real community um, and then I, I guess to represent it in 2020 during the pandemic, when we were all split up, I started doing these things called together runs and I still do them where I take a mic with me on my run and I take people through these meditative elements like body scans and senses check in. And, and I ask people, how are you really? And I give them two minutes of silence to think about that. And I really, people really spoke said how much it meant to them to have that sense of feeling like they were a part of something, even if they lived in the middle of nowhere and never had anyone to run with. Um, And so I think for me, community always meant your local people you live with. But I I love that in the world we live in right now, that can mean so many different things online, in person, that can mean volunteering, that can mean pacing, crewing, that can mean so many different things. And we really wanted to represent that so that people could enhance and amplify their love of the sport through whatever that means to them. So good. And in the book, you guys sort of talk about the joy and value inherent in giving back. And this is another thing that really is top of mind for me in the aftermath of hard rock, feeling like I need Mm -hmm. to do more giving back at this point. And you use the example of Yassine Boone, I think perfectly, because those of us who know (laughs) Yassine know how much he gives, 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 gives. Zoe, is there anything you'd like to say about just like, the importance of giving back and the importance of, yeah, that, that, you know, understanding that it is a two part equation, giving and taking, and that's what creates community. You know, I think, um, Dylan, this will probably speak to a lot of your experience in the ultra world. And I mean, community or, and Tina is really starting to see and experience this as well. But when you've been supported, like at a, at a hundred mile race by your crew, your pacers, all the folks at aid stations who, take so much of their time and energy just to support you, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable, right? Like it feels, it totally dismantles your ego to feel so unconditionally loved and supported. That is not the most common human experience. And it is wild to step into that space and to really confront what it means to be loved and to be held and supported and encouraged in that way. And I think that discomfort comes from knowing that you can't reciprocate it perfectly because it is just a gift. It is given with no, like, there is no like sort of like coercive reciprocity. It is just given to you freely. And that is an amazing and beautiful and humbling thing. And so I think I always feel really encouraged and inspired to give in that same way with no expectation of reciprocity to like lift other people up, not because it will help me, but because it feels amazing to lift other people up and seeing other people get that lift is just incredible. And to know, like 
to have that experience of knowing what it feels like to be helped and supported. Because I feel like so often in our culture, there's so much pressure to do things ourselves, to not ask for help, to not show vulnerability, to be self-reliant, to be independent. And when you step into these spaces where independence isn't an option, because gosh darn it, you're running hard rock and it's going to take a whole (laughs) team to get you across the finish line, really coming to the edge of yourself and realizing how all the best things in our lives necessitate deep and intimate connections with other people is scary and the most amazing experience I think we can have as people. And I think running is, again, just like a really safe way for us to experience that, to experience what it feels like to be receptive of other people's love and attention so that we can know how to give it in return. That's so great. And Yassine, for those who don't know, lives in Portland. And he really is one of the most special, positive people I've ever met. And I've been lucky to know him for many years, but every time I speak with him or run with him, I leave with like a renewed faith in humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it could be, you know, after sort of considering this and pre- preparing to speak with you both is like, you know, maybe one of the reasons he's like that is because he gives back so much, right? Like maybe there's a karmic element to it, right? Of like the peace that comes from being of service and giving back makes him like a more peaceful, happier person who can then, you know, give that happiness as a gift to other people like me. It's really a beautiful thing. Tina, I think this may be a good opportunity to have you say a few more words about what you've done guiding, because I think that's a great example Mm. of giving back. Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, the best way of me explaining this is, um, so yeah, back in 2016, when I was racing, I mean, if you look at pictures of me, my eyes were on the ground, my face was looking like I was like, a warrior like taking on the most like serious thing of, of life or death um and there was just nothing there but in boston 2021 i ran um as a guide um in the marathon in the boston marathon um and my guy uh, my athlete said to me afterwards um he has a little bit of vision so he can see photos if he looks carefully he said to me did you just know where the cameras were and i was like no. And he's like, well, well, you're just, you're smiling in every picture. And I was like, I know because I was literally smiling the entire way because they often say, and I've, I've, I've run as a guide in four marathons, including in Lahaina, Maui. Um, and, uh, and each time it is, they, the athlete is so thankful. They say, thank you so much for doing this, for giving your time, your energy, your love. You can maybe see over my shoulder, I have a um, two uh, wreaths that were made by one of the um, runner's mum, who was just so grateful. And I was like, I'm always like, this is not me. I want to be thanking you for giving me this experience and allow and trusting me to do this because I always try and get people to sign up as a guide. Mike Wardian was the one I heard talking about it once. And I thought I want to do that. And I'd, I know Scott Jurek has done it a lot as well. Um, and it is just the most rewarding meaningful beautiful experience of going on this journey and hearing people say go team which again out on a marathon course is not something you hear very often um and so yeah I think that I was very much drawn to that and I encourage anyone to go to United in Stride or Achilles International to sign up because it doesn't require a load of training it isn't something that has to take away from your goals you could give up one run a week to run you know, whatever pace, it doesn't matter. Um, and that means the world to someone. So yeah, guiding has been such a gift to me. Um, and, 
I'm just grateful to be able to do it. <laughs> very, very cool. So as we sort of move towards talking about the third and final element of the book, I want to wrap up talking about community by talking about the importance of speaking up, because I think these two things are intimately you know, important to cultivating that sustainable community and to a sustainable planet. And I don't know, I think maybe this is, Zoe, if you want to chime in and just like the importance of like using your voice, because oftentimes it is intimidating or scary, or, you know, you feel like you want to leave it to somebody else to speak up. But again, in the spirit of community, you know, there needs to be a reciprocal nature to it. And I don't know if, if everybody's looking at everybody else to speak up, nobody's going to speak up. Anything you want to say yeah. about just the importance of using your voice and being brave in those moments? Yeah, I think, you know, pivoting back to the being a recovering a perfectionist in recovery so often on these things that I'm really passionate about, I actually will struggle even more to speak up because I get worried. I'm not the best advocate for things. I'm imperfect. I don't live in as much alignment with my values as I would prefer with more resources, I guess. Um, I get nervous that I'll be called out or like that. I just won't, I'll be, someone will say, you're not enough. You're not the right messenger for this message. And that, you know, in a lot of ways has prevented me from speaking up on some things. But I also think one of the most important aspects of community is sort of that reciprocal accountability in the same way. I would want to trust people to be receptive to my message. I can trust that they'll give me feedback, like on how I can live more in alignment with my values, how maybe I can like better tailor the message for the community. And I think that it's just so, so important that like any community that you don't feel comfortable speaking up in, maybe they're undeserving of your time, attention and resources that you're giving it. And there is a community that will be more receptive to it. I think so often, you know, the trail running community is at this amazing sort of point of growth. And there's like a lot of, I think, sort of like community soul searching around like defining like the community defining itself and like who where has it been what does it want to be we realize that there's more time attention and energy coming into the sport all the time and that puts a lot of pressure on sort of this like act of self-definition and I think that so often um you know the loudest voices get prioritized as opposed like that are sort of like coming in from this like position of like assumed authority rather than that more collective sort of um vision of what the community can be what it can what it like are sort of radical reimagining of what the community can look like. And I think that I've been, I've been really encouraged to see that multiplicity of voices being increasingly prioritized over just like the sort of like louder sort of legacy perspectives, while those are also important, right? Like that's not to devalue that. I think it's the important part is the, is the multiplicity and is the ability for everyone to be seen and heard and I think that it just is like when it feels tough and when I feel embarrassed that I'm not speaking up as much as I want to, just leaning into that fact that like, okay, this is hard because I do care about this issue and because I do care about the community. And so if I can just trust that the reason it feels hard is also exactly the reason I need to do it. The Best Gear isn't born in a factory. It's inspired by real people challenging themselves to explore new parts of the world. That's why I love Rourke. Their team pulls design inspiration straight from the cultures and people of new destinations to create durable and comfortable styles that can take you straight from the trail to the coffee shop or the bar. Trail 
culture. For over 10 years, Rourke has explored the globe to seek adventure on the road less traveled, and each collection includes a give back because Rourke believes in leaving a positive impact on the places that host their adventures trail culture. The latest collection is inspired by a trip through Hokkaido, Japan, featuring Japanese prints and patterns, but free trail listeners will especially love the Rourke Run Amok line. It's functional running gear that goes against traditional activewear styling, so you'll never have to choose between performance and personality. I've been rocking Rourke's Alta 5-inch short, which are stylish and perfect for my long runs. They're super lightweight and even have a water-resistant pocket for my phone. It's a really nice product. Go check it out along with the rest of the Run Amok apparel collection for a limited time. As one of my listeners, you can get 15% off your order. Go to Rourke.com, R-O-A-R-K.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Rourke. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by HVMN and the Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketone IQ has become a huge phenomenon in endurance sport in recent years, allowing athletes of all levels to access new levels of performance. It was first adopted in cycling, especially among the professional ranks, but it's now finding its way into the running world, which is awesome and with great success. I recall seeing British ultra star Tom Evans smashing a ketone IQ as he jumped in the raft at the Rocky Chucky River Crossing on his way to victory, the 2023 Western States. Well, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for me. Ketone IQ was invented by HVMN to help athletes of all levels reach their physical potential by boosting cognitive performance. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know that your brain is key to performing at your best as a runner from fatigue resistance to improved focus and mental clarity. Ketone IQ can give you deeper brain power when the miles and exhaustion start to add up. This is something you really have to experience to understand. So make sure you give Ketone IQ a try. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Again, visit hvmn forward slash free trail 30 and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. There is a link in the show notes of this episode as well. Thanks to HVMN. So again, I feel like you've structured the book so effectively in that the beginning, it's like, how do you sustain yourself? And then the middle is like, how do you sustain those around you? And then it finishes with the big macro. How do we sustain the greater organism that is mother earth. So maybe to you both, maybe Tina, we'll start with you. I'd love to hear about your journey in environmentalism and conservation work. Mm-hmm. You know, how you, how you uh, arrived at a place where you felt like it was time to use your voice and write a book about it. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, and I, I want to begin by actually speaking to the fact that like what Zoe, what people might hear Zoe and I talk about um, might seem scary and intimidating. And I've never talked up about anything before, but even beginning with start saying to, okay, so when the wildfire smoke was coming through a lot of the US and air quality was really bad, rather than just be like having this conversation with people around us and saying like, oh, better not run today, the air quality. Um, is bad anyway so what are you going to do today you know just saying to that to, to your running friends like oh you know this this makes me a little nervous like are we going to be okay you know speaking to that anxiety that we all 
feel about um, the future and what things look like. And while the climate deniers are loud and they are very, um, very, very active, they they're very they're actually a very, very small percentage of the population. And so, even if it begins with you saying something to a friend. Like I'm really nervous about these wildfires, like or whatever it might be. That is a starting point that you can get to and use your voice to speak up, even if it's just to your best friends to start with, to get that confidence going of actually getting this off your chest. And you'll find that when you start talking about it, you actually feel this like, because you said something, not just like stuffing it down and be like, stop worrying about the future, live in the now, you know. Um, and that's hard to do. But to answer your question, I've I've always been environmentally passionate, but in a similar reason to Zoe, I didn't really say anything about it publicly because I wasn't taking solar powered boats to go home and visit my family in England. And I wasn't a vegan. I'm not, I'm still not, I'm not a vegan and I don't have an electric car. Um, and so I didn't want to speak up to these things, same reason as Zoe, because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And, and even with this book, Zoe and I have had people say to us, well, why are you writing this book on paper? Isn't that trees? And we have to think about the bigger picture of like, if we're getting this book in thousands of hands to get people start thinking, yes, that's trees, but it's also getting the message going that can be amplified. So it was when it was like 2021, actually, when I started really speaking out about it and, and having these moments in my life start to really speak to me. Like I've always Fern Gully, I genuinely believe, was a catalyst. Have you seen that, Dylan? I have. Did you watch that as a kid? No. Oh. Zoe, have you seen it? I don't know if I've asked you that. Yeah. You have. Yeah. Okay, so Fern Gully is basically about these fairies that live in the forest. Oh, and Fern Gully! Poli- Excuse me, I can't yes. understand with your with your accent. <laughs> Fern Gully, a beautiful animated I, film. Yes. Yes. Fern Gully. Is that better? That's better. Thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so fairies in the forest, the pollution monster eats pollution to get bigger and stronger and cut down more trees so he can eat more pollution. Um, that movie had like a real impact on me and 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 it, but I'd always like had these little things, but it was only in 2021 when I started speaking up and saying things that people started, you know, receiving it well. The Chicago Marathon reached out to me and I thought, right. I, this is this is what I care about the most. This is what I want to speak to. And I need to use my voice, even if that means people look at me on Instagram and go, yeah, boring. I don't want to hear about this and scroll on by. I have to do it anyway. So um, yeah, that was me. Zoe, how about you? How'd you arrive at a place where <laughs> this became an, uh, something that occupied your mind space and something you wanted to talk about? Yeah. So um, I actually grew up in rural Northwest Arkansas on an apple orchard. So I've always, like my childhood was very much as a part of a culture that was really tied to time outside and a close connection with the natural world. Though it's kind of different in the way that I see the culture experiencing it, like in Colorado, where it's all like outdoorsiness and 14ers and hiking and hard rock, which is great and amazing. But I really do cherish the culture I grew up in and the ways that people were also very attuned to the natural world through things like hunting, fishing, farming, agriculture, um, in these ways that I don't always see as like celebrated in like mainstream outdoor culture. And another big part of growing up in the South was a connection to sport as being sort of a way for people to connect with one another and like a rallying sort, like a sort of a nexus for community. And I've always really believed in the power of sport to bring people together, right? Like this is why trail running will save the world is because it is this uniting factor (laughs) 
that like mm-hmm. you can really access people, you can tug on people's heartstrings, you can activate them around these shared issues that we as outdoor athletes should be necessarily energized around. So I w- have always been really passionate about sort of using sport as this front door to understand other people and like really trying to be curious about their concerns and about like where they might feel attached to climate issues. I feel like um, when I was an early career climate journalist, I got my master's degree at Boulder in environmental journalism. A lot of the work I was seeing and I was even writing was very much like, here's what you should care about. And I was always much more like, actually, I'm really curious what like my friends back home in Arkansas care about. Like, I'm really curious what folks in rural communities care about. I really, I'm really curious about what people who I don't have much in common, like what what are their concerns? Why are they worried about climate change? Why aren't they worried? Like, what are where where what are they interested in? And why am I not speaking to them? Why are we not in conversation? And I think sport kind of is this way that we can access and dignify each other's like challenges and concerns. And it is also something that is impacted by climate change. So it's sort of this like two way street that we can use to pull people into a conversation who haven't always seen themselves, who haven't always felt seen and heard by the environmental movement. We haven't always been a very inclusive movement. We haven't spoken directly to a lot of the needs and concerns of a lot of folks. And I think sport is a really potent way to say like, no, 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 we care about the same things. The way that you spend your time is 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 important where you recreate, where you worship, where you play, those things are important. How do I take care of them? How are you already? What can I learn from you? So interesting. So Zoe, to go a level level deeper, this is just popping into my head, but as somebody who studied environmental journalism and who makes her living as a sports journalist, what's the intersection there? Because like in the book, you talk about greenwashing. There's also this concept of sports washing, which is big in the news right now. Yeah. Maybe can you d- define those terms or is there anything yeah, so there? Oh, sports washing? This one was so such an interesting conversation, particularly around the World Cup, right, where folks with sort of like entities with sort of dubious moral standing will launder their reputation through sport because we love sports. Sports are amazing. And it's so easy to loot, like to not keep your eye trained on the deep why of things when there's exciting human narratives playing out in front of you. Sport speaks to our like sort of, and this isn't in a bad way. I don't mean to diminish this. It speaks to our like basest human narratives. That is why I like it. I get to take my thinking hat off and just be like a doing breathing being. And it can sometimes obfuscate things that we might want to focus on. But again, I think it can also be a really powerful lens to retrain our eye on what things matter to us as people, right? Like, again, like the World Cup was sort of a way for, you know, again, like dubious entities to sort of put a spit shine on their like reputation on the world stage. Greenwashing is a, sort of uses a similar mechanism where companies will sort of long launder their environmental culpability through us, the consumer, right? Like they will make a product that doesn't meaningfully that does detract from sort of like the world's well-being. It doesn't meaningfully add to it. And then like sort of like offset the guilt onto us by like asking us to like throw in an extra dollar at checkout to like offset our carbon when they've done nothing to sort of like, you know, assess their life cycle and process at all. And I think that I'm always really skeptical of any time a large organization that has more power than any single consumer is clearly trying to get us to internalize that guilt, to internalize that labor that they could meaningfully be doing at a much more like impactful scale. So I think that like, that's something that I'm always like really 
really always trying to help people like develop a better framework around and like the sports journalism of this all is the reason I really started to be like, I think this might be something I want to do. Like this might be a really powerful tool is when I was a very young environmental journalist, I was, um, and Donald Trump was running for president for the first time. He, some of his proposed budget cuts to NASA were these like huge sweeping cuts that were going to impact a lot of these like satellite systems for analyzing climate and weather. And I was like, that's a really abstract story to tell, right? Like some guy wants us to spend less money on satellites somewhere. That's all super abstract. So I was sort of digging into the data and I realized that that data was the same data that was used to forecast the weather at baseball games. As a huge fan of Arkansas Razorback baseball, I realized I personally had a vested interest, not only in us, like obviously maintaining sort of an eye on the climate of it all, but like, I want to know what to wear at baseball games. I want to know if I can expect this game to happen or not. When do I tune in to see my beloved Arkansas Razorbacks and are they going to Omaha? And so trying to figure out how to ground these really large narratives in something that we understand and relate to on a human level. And like, again, dignifying the very real concerns of people saying like, it's okay for you to care about baseball. And also here's how it's tied into climate. And those narratives often will be much more resonant and will like help activate people much more than just like yelling at them or just saying budget cuts or satellites. Yeah. And sport does just have such a powerful ability to change individuals. And this is where our tagline Tina, you may not know, but Free Trail, our, our little business here, often says trail running will save the world. And that's our way of saying, you know, we understand how much value this activity has brought into our individual lives and how much better it's made us as individual human beings. And by virtue of that personal improvement, we can go be more productive members of our civilization. Similarly, like Protect Our Winners has a philosophy about the outdoor state, sort of like rallying people in outdoor sporting communities to be advocates in this conversation. And I thought that was like just a really effective piece of messaging to like, you know, use the inherent power of outdoor sports for greater good. And that almost ties back to the community conversation too. So Tina, in this section of the book, I mean, it's very apparent. Again, I haven't, I haven't read all the way through the sustaining your planet section of the book yet, but it's clear that you guys did a bunch of interviews. I know like Claire Gallagher, Dakota Jones are featured. The bibliography, like the reference list in the book is dozens of pages. It seems like in sort of doing the research around this and in conducting a lot of the interviews, are there any things that stood out to you as being particularly powerful? Um, well, when you said about the bibliography, someone recently asked me, how many references did you use? And I was like, um, I don't know, I think like maybe 15 to 20. But then when we got the copy of the book, I was like, um, okay, maybe 15 to 20 pages. Like I completely just forgot about all that. It was, it was quite a funny moment where I was like, oh yeah, I guess we did do a lot of research for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were so many things that, I mean, I learned just, I think that's where Zoe and I just work so beautifully together in that there were a lot of things that I had no idea about or would never think about. And, and she brought these to my attention. Um, and we each had our passionate areas of, of what we could speak to, you know, I um you would have you would have seen in there that I talk a lot about what the Chicago Marathon um which is leading the way in in the road running space is doing to make change and and those were things that I was learning while writing this um 
about how what they're doing to reduce their impact and like races were not something I particularly thought about beyond maybe like I knew there was a lot of cups scattered around the course um, but I hadn't really thought about the rest of it and and really getting to see a the f the work that they're putting in um, but also the effort it takes to make these changes even down to like asking okay so let's say the race is going to give out um, reusable water bottles. Well, each of those reusable water bottles is wrapped in a plastic wrap that cannot be recycled. So then taking that step to say, hey, we don't need that that, that plastic around this, this bottle. So all these little steps they were taking really was like, wow, this is a this is a big thing to take on, but also a good reminder that it doesn't hurt to ask in what ever field any of us are in we all have some touch point to where we can make an impact and where we can just ask as Zoe mentioned about curiosity um so that was something that I just felt like Zoe and I both went into this very curiously um and yeah as with most things once you start doing the digging um into into this stuff you find out more and more but the one thing I do want to share and I've I've shared this a lot so has Zoe 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global emissions. So I want to like keep that in mind when we start pointing fingers at one another, when we start thinking that our individual actions are what going to save this. It's not. We have to get these big companies to, to do their part. Um, and that quote, that stat, that fact really spoke to me and made me think, wow, you know, it, we have to, they have to take their responsibility, not us. Wow. Yeah. What a staggering statistic. So as we start to wind down here, one thing that I thought would be interesting to chat about altogether as three people who work in media, more or less, like I can feel a deep self-consciousness about how we talk about this stuff at Free Trail, going back to the importance of speaking up and communication. And I really hate, like I have an allergy to like divisive outrage inducing preachiness more or less, you know, like, so like in a fear of coming off in a sanctimonious way, often I just don't say anything, you know? And so maybe if there's anything that you two would like to leave the listeners with about like how we can communicate, how we can speak up more effectively. Evidence shows like, and I think, you know, for folks who are curious about this, the um, sort the Yale Center for Climate Communication does a lot of really excellent research in this area. And I've learned a lot from them, but ask like the best way to message around this stuff is to, again, not just say like, hi, I'm Zoe. And I really care um, about, you know, like wildfire free seasons in Colorado so I can exercise whenever the heck I want. That's like really not going to resonate with everyone. It'll resonate with my immediate community, but like asking people like, what do you care about? Oh, economic justice. Great. I've got a climate conversation for you. Oh, you care about national security. Excellent. I've got a climate conversation for you. You care about agriculture. Incredible. I've got a climate conversation for you, starting with curiosity and asking what other, like what matters to other people, because inevitably climate does play into it. But I think trying to like jam your values down someone else's throat has just like never Mm -hmm. once worked and tends to usually result in like people posturing online about like what they're doing and like what matters to them. And I know we all have to perform our identity in some way, but that's not a good faith attempt to bring people into the climate conversation. And it's definitely not going to empower people to take meaningful action in their community. So starting with like, what matters to you? How can I speak to that? 
Can I have Zoe just one more thing that I think people might be thinking or will some people to talk to will think is money. They're like, well, I care about saving money. I, yeah, maybe give that point because that I think is one that people think about and they're like, well, what what do I say to that person? Yeah, totally. And I think that's like, that is valid, right? Like, and I think that, you know, like neglecting like the economic justice justice of it all and the job security of it all, you're leaving so many folks out of that conversation. These are These are necessary conversations in the climate space, but like, research has shown that if we move towards a less carbon-based economy, that will actually benefit most people's bottom line. Like, yeah, there's going to be some oil execs that aren't going to have a good day when this does happen. I'm fine to leave them behind. But the majority of Americans will actually find themselves better off economically with a just and sustainable transition away from a carbon-based economy. And I think that there are, like, one of the reasons that sort of like the, the carbon of it, like the carbon side of things has sort of dominated that economic justice conversation is because the climate movement hasn't always been sensitive and well attuned to the valid economic concerns of lots and lots of Americans. Like again, going back to like growing up in rural Arkansas, those are folks that I so often don't see their needs sort of centered in the climate justice movements, you know, like rural, rural areas, like Appalachian areas, like economies that have previously been based on resource extraction. What is our plan for economic justice in like and transitioning these folks away from an economy that truly doesn't benefit them in the long term either. And how can we all build an economy that's premised on mutual thrival access to clean air and water and fair housing, fair transportation, all of these things, because that all of those things have to be taken into account. And again, I think that like that is one of the failures of the climate movement is it hasn't asked like, oh, you're concerned about money. Excellent. How can I do better at that? How can I better speak to your needs Mm. here? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, everything comes down to effective communication. And you two have put together a wonderful book. So thank you so much for bringing it into the world. I can't wait to finish it myself, but it really is powerful. And I would encourage our listeners to go check it out. So maybe in that spirit, as we wind towards closing, any finishing thoughts from either of you? I'd love to hear you know, where we should point the audience in terms of picking up the book and any other projects you have coming up with trail runner, women's running, running for real, stand-up comedy, etc. Tina, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, um, you can go to becomingasustainablerunner.com. There's links to all the, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, uh, Waterstones in the UK. I can't remember the Canadian one, Chapters, is that what it's called? Indigo, something like that. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of places there. Um, so definitely go get it. We uh, we did also have we have the audiobook version as well. I don't know if that'll be up. I don't know if that immediately goes up. It might take a, a week or so after it comes out. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like a, a final thing for me would just be that we get this is a huge, scary, overwhelming problem, and it is intentionally made to be confusing. Like that's why there's like carbon neutral and carbon negative and carbon positive and, and all these confusing words. So we don't really know what they mean. And that is intentional because that way we just go, Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to carry on because I just don't have the brain space, but taking little steps, whatever that might be for you and working your way up from there is, is really, you know, the, the best way you can go about this. And hopefully this book is giving people starting points. Um, But the biggest thing is just take some kind of action. The one thing 
the fossil fuel industry, the government, the the people that don't want life to change and want it to stay as it is, don't want us to do is to organize, to come together, to to work as a community, to work as a whole, to take this on because then they have to do something. So um, find a way to the where your unique passions line up with um, what you have access to, and find a way to get started, even if that is as simple as like you know sending your child in with a reusable water bottle instead of a plastic bottle if that's the best you can do start there cool. you know something Love yeah it. and it might seem big and scary but it also can be like an amazing source of connection fun and joy if you if you stay in it long enough awesome so I have a traditional closing question too. Tina, I know you have to get to your chiropractic. Oh no, you're okay. So we'll, you're okay. we'll start with you. <laughs> My closing question is, who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport, can be living or dead, and why is it that you admire that person? I mean, there are so many people that I admire, but I'm going to give you the first person that came up, which is going to blow both of your minds. You're never going to guess this. George Michael. George Michael all right George Michael is who I'm going with today he was the first person that came to my mind um maybe because I watched the Wham documentary recently but I really admire the way that he like changed the whole the whole industry uh, of music with with his music and just the way that he continued to speak up and use his platform even when like he got beaten down by the music industry kind of similar to the fossil fuel industry who was like no this is the way it's done we executives need to make money off you i don't care about you individuals like go away um and i just really i, I wish he was still here i love his music i love what he stood for i love that you know he was such a beacon of light for so many people so I'm going to go with George Michael, I love but it. I do admire a lot of people. <laughs> did, did, did you say that there was a, a documentary about, about Wham? There's, there's multiple. There's one called Wham. I think it's called Wham. It's about Wham on Netflix. And then there is one called, I think it's called Freedom that is just about George. I watched it in England, so I don't know where it would be over here, but somewhere. I'm looking it so, up. George Michael. Yes. Definitely wouldn't have guessed that one. <laughs> Zoe, finish us off. Who's one person you admire? Yeah. Um, I, for me, it would be Gia Tolentino. She's a writer for the New Yorker and she has covered everything from the environment to TikTok to Instagram aesthetics. And she's a younger female writer with a, a book called Trick Mirror, which is one of my favorite essay collection, probably my favorite essay collection of all time. And she just has such a distinctive voice and style that is so uniquely her own. And she so like adeptly uses it to tell these amazing, important, and sometimes small and unimportant seeming stories that really reflect, I think, a really fascinating sort of scope of, of human challenges, problems, solutions, quirks. And as a writer, I'm always really inspired by folks who lean into their voice in really curious and unique ways and then use it to tell stories that that matter. Wow. Well, thank you both for those contributions. You've left me with further reading <laughs> and homework to do after yes. our conversation, in addition Love to finishing the book. Homework. Yes. In addition to finishing the book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner. Zoe Realm, Tina Muir, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate the conversation. You guys are awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Holy smokes, what a convo. Zoe and Tina are incredible people. 
I want to be like them when I grow up. Make sure you go pick up the book. We obviously talked a lot about it here, but it's so dense with great advice and uplifting messages. We barely scratched the surface. Visit becomingasustainablerunner.com and pick up a copy today. Also check out what Tina and Zoe are doing individually at Running For Real and Trail Runner Mag, respectively. I link to both their Instagram accounts here where you can click through and give them a follow. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought about the episode. Drop your feedback in Slack and let's keep the conversation going. If you're not a member, you're missing out and you're breaking my heart. Come join the team freetrail.com. Big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code freetrail10 for 10% off these great pieces of footwear. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code freetrail15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. HVMN, get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash freetrail30. Finally, Rourke Apparel, rourke.com. Use code freetrail15 for 15% off this great running apparel. Thank you all so much for listening. It means so much. Love you dearly from the bottom of my heart. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.